in three weeks, we're going on a pilgrimage. Um, very excited about it. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of the word pilgrimage before, but it means going from one place to another. Like, it, it's an ancient tradition in our church where we go from one place to another, right? But there's a spiritual significance behind it because it also kind of reveals to us our, our life, right? How our life is from one place to another. The destination isn't of this world, it's heaven, right? So we're going on a pilgrimage in a couple of weeks. Uh, my, my, one, of my, one, one of the biggest experiences that I've had the opportunity to have in my life to this point, um, three or four years ago, I went to World Youth Day in Poland. Um, I don't know if you've heard of your World Youth Day. Uh, 1.8 million people out on a field. Um, that is LSU Stadium filled 18 or 21 times, roughly. Um, so it was, a, it was a huge, amazing, amazing experience. All on a field. We get, we're praising the Lord. We're going to Mass together. The Pope's there. It's a big expression of the faith. After, the, after we went to Poland, though, we went to Rome. Uh, and while we were in Rome, again, biggest church in the world, St. Peter's Basilica. Um, some, of the most, some of the most powerful moments that I've ever experienced of just a universal church, the whole church being together. It was a really, really beautiful trip. Part of the trip, though, uh, that I didn't expect was that on the, while we were in Poland, um, we stopped at Auschwitz. When we went to Rome, um, we went to the Colosseum, and we went to the Circus Maximus. Um, if you know what the Circus Maximus is, Circus Maximus is where Nero basically just had his fun killing Christians. It's a big field, it's right under the, right under the ruins of the ancient palace. Um, and he would go out, stand on his deck, basically, and just watch Christians be mauled to death by lions or set on fire or a multitude of other ways. Basically, he just found fun ways to kill Christians. You know what, uh, if you know the Colosseum, the Colosseum was just a factory of death, basically. They found ways to, for gladiators to come in to fight to, until the death, basically for betting or for whatever else, but they would die. And Auschwitz, uh, the Nazis basically improved on the Romans and found more effective ways to kill. Why do I throw that out there? Because um, for some reason, when I think of that trip, when I think of that experience, I don't think of standing in Auschwitz and remembering the smell. I don't remember uh, standing on the Circus Maximus and correcting someone because they were taking selfies. I remember 1.8 million people on a field praying before our Lord. I remember being able to walk through John Paul II's home. I remember being able to celebrate Mass on his, on his tomb. Or being able to go into St. Faustina's convent. Something that happens, that happened with that trip, and I think that happens sometimes in our life, and, and hopefully happens more than not in our life, is that sometimes the bad stuff of the world, darkness that the world has, becomes a backdrop to the light out in front. We went to Auschwitz. We went to the Circus Maximus. We went to the Colosseum. Dark factories of death, horrible places in the history of humanity. But the thing we, I remember is out in front the witness of a humble pope 
witness of a, a nun, a couple of nuns who changed the world. Today, as we come to, to celebrate, right, as, as, even at like this season of the church, when we celebrate the coming of Jesus, right, at the Christmas season, when we celebrate the baby being born amongst us, who's the Messiah, there's a, there's a dark background behind it. And that's the Feast of the Holy Innocents. We celebrate Jesus' coming on the 25th and all the things around it. It's beautiful and it's amazing and we have a lot of fun and our parents and our families get along perfectly. Not at all. We yell and we have fun, but it's great, you know. Um, like, we, 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 we celebrate all these wonderful things. But on December 28th, there's a feast that we hold in the church to remember what was going on around Jesus' birth. We read in the second chapter of Matthew. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, was in a furious rage. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time which had ascertained from the wise men, which he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they were no more. All the children, male children, two years old or younger, were killed. Sometimes we read words in scripture that don't, don't they, they're so shocking, they don't quite register. I'm, I'm not going to lie, and this is just a sidebar. Um, you, if you didn't watch the football, LSU football game on Saturday, right, someone might have saw eight touchdowns, and it, it's so shocking, it's a register. To a whole nother degree. All the children in the city of Bethlehem, the city of David, all male children, two years old or younger, were put to death. That's a shocking moment. I've done one funeral for a uh, child in my life, and she was two years old, and I never wanted that experience again. There's never been a harder thing I've done as a and to watch a child be buried. Unbelievably heartbreaking. All of the children in this town were killed. There's ever been a darkness that was behind something? Try all of the, all of the male children in a city being killed. The thing about it, though, we don't pay attention a lot of times to the darkness in the back. Because the light in the front is so bright. Because the light that's out in front, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, become, God becomes man, is such a big moment that it actually makes the darkness pale in comparison. Whenever we think about this, sometimes the, the temptation could be, well, why on earth did God let all of this happen? 
We think about it that way, and sometimes it could be kind of discouraging. Well, what, what was God doing for all of these children? We can think about that right now. With this whole, I mean, there's no secret to why we're here, right? We're coming to pray. We're, we're going to be, in, a, two, in three weeks, we're going to be uh, protesting on behalf of a lot of children who were killed, didn't have a chance. We could, we could wonder, what is God doing? What I want to, what I, I think for us today, what I think for us, what would be helpful for us, would be a good space for us as disciples of the Lord, as followers of Jesus, as his believers and his children, I think for us what would be a really helpful thing, maybe for us, let's focus on us in today's battle for the holy innocence. Let's put ourselves in the place of Joseph. This decree goes out and Joseph flees. Joseph is protecting. Joseph is making sure that this doesn't happen to his son, to God's gift to him, to the one he's been commissioned to take care of. Mary, uh, Mary's not just this meek, quiet, prayerful, pious lady that just kind of sits in the background. Uh, Mary's a fierce woman, strong. Because for her to be able to travel pregnant, have a baby in a stable, and then travel again, she better be strong. And Mary's making sure that no one's touching her baby. Yet, Joseph and Mary could easily have looked around and said, look at all the death and destruction, there's no way, there's no hope. The reality is, is that I think Mary and Joseph, when they're faced with such an amazing and horrible thing, first thing they do is they make sure that Jesus, that Christ, is held close to them and protected from the evil. I think for us, as we prepare for, ne- for next month, as we prepare for the March for Life, as we prepare for our life in general, we could put ourselves in the place of Mary and Joseph. Jesus couldn't defend himself. Jesus couldn't speak for himself. Jesus couldn't beg for mercy from whatever person was going to attack him. Mary and Joseph were there to do it for him. Mary and Joseph were there. They were commissioned to be the, the protectors. They were commissioned to be the ones who kept him close. They were commissioned to be the ones who would make sure that he would grow strong and wise. That they would form him into faith. That they would do everything to the, to the law according to how God had asked them. I think for us, the background of today, of our world around us, can sometimes seem bleak. Over 55 million children. 55 million lives have been lost because of the sin of abortion. Another one of those stats that doesn't make sense. It's almost too big to comprehend. 55 million lives have been lost to this sin. God's not calling us to save the 55 million. We can't do that. 
God's not calling us to, to be anyone's savior in this world. God's simply calling us as, while we have a voice, while we have a body, while we have a will, that we could go out and show and pro- protest on behalf of the next 55 million. God's calling us to be both protector of the rest of those around us and to, and to follow Jesus, follow Joseph and Mary's witness of holding Jesus close. How do we do that? Like we're not, we're, it'd be awesome if we were the, the, the government and we could outlaw it. It'd be awesome if we could like reach into the minds and hearts of people, flip a switch and all of a sudden everything makes sense. How do we do it? Uh, there was a, uh, G.K. Chesterton is a, is a famous author, a uh, famous Catholic. Um, they, the, the newspaper in London at one time put out, a, put out an essay question. Uh, they just wanted to do like this little essay test. They put out an essay question, and the question was, what's wrong with the world? Very simple question, big question. You could write pages and pages on this. I think tonight, if we really wanted to, we wanted to like have a little powwow. We could break down a lot of things that are wrong with the world. Okay, Justin had a very, very simple answer. He wrote, dear sir or madam, comma, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. Before we go out to change the world, before we go out to change policy, before we go out to change the hearts and minds of people, the first place that has to have a sense, a, a spirit of conversion, the first place that has to have an encounter with Jesus Christ is me. Not, not, not you, me. I need, I need to have the first. For all honest, we we could say that I, I am. My, my sin promotes a, a culture of death. My sin skews God's image in the world. The way I fall short in loving. The way I fall short in compassion. The ways in which I fall short in my duty as a Christian. I, I am. How is it that we're going to build a culture of life. By first looking at me. By first looking inside. What sin in your life is holding you back? What's the one thing, man, Lord, if you could fix this one thing, man, life would be so much easier. Lord, if you, could, if you could do this one thing, if you could get rid of this one sin in my life. Just to reflect your love. Maybe, maybe it's, uh, Lord, I haven't been to confession in a while. You know what? I, I forgot how to do it. <laughs> okay. The, the, the Lord is calling us, before all else, to be pro-life. That, that word, right, it's a, lot of, it's a lot of different things. It's a lot more than just anti-abortion, by the way. To be pro-life is to be pr- for all life. 
And whenever we're fully alive is when we're close to the Lord. Whenever we're fully alive is when we're here with him, one-on-one, face-to-face, and saying, Lord, let me, like, let me, let me thrive. <laughs> let me live my life to the full. Let me be your witness in the world. Tonight, whenever we come to, to this, this night, when we come to, to pray, for abor- pray for an end to abortion, absolutely, but we pray for a culture of life to take root in the world. You've been on the March for Life before. Uh, you may have heard this. But if you haven't, I'm going to teach you something. A little leg up on the rest of the trip. During the course of the trip, we'll have a lot of yelling, a lot of cheering, a lot of different things. But at some points on the trip, um, I, I'll probably be the one yelling, don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll yell out a phrase. What do we want? And the response to what do we want is culture of life. Next follow-up is how do we get it? Prayer and sacrifice. My challenge to us now 20 days out. My challenge to us as we're as we're inching ever closer to the departure date from the pastoral center. A really early hour. My, depart, my, my, my encouragement to all of us is that from now until then, as a way of preparing for the pilgrimage that God has sent us on, in what way are you daily going to pray? In what way are you daily going to say, I'm lifting my mind and my heart to God? That's 20 minutes, awesome. If that's five, awesome. If that's an hour, awesome. If that's 13, you know, if that's 13 hours in a day, great. Good luck. <laughs> but what way am I lifting my mind and my heart to God every day? The second thing, I know it seems like we only do this during Lent. But what's one thing that I can give up? What's one sacrifice that I can embrace for the next 20 days before we leave? Maybe, for the, maybe, maybe it's for that woman who, who's planning on going to the abortion clinic on day 21 won't. Maybe, maybe it's so that the person who's, who's really anxious and has a lot of nervousness about this trip isn't. Whatever it may be, God is calling us to build a culture of life by prayer and sacrifice. The two most effective things that we know how to do in our church. Tonight we come to pray. Maybe for us tonight, if you need to go to confession, we'd love to love it. Great, please do. If not, if you want to just sit and pray, if you just want to listen to what God has for you, great. Do that. But at some point tonight, ask the Lord, Lord, how is it that you want me to pray, sacrifice, before we leave? I invite you to close your eyes for a moment. Just imagine for a moment. 
Just imagine for a moment. As, as the saints teach us, St. Ignatius championed in his, in his imaginative prayer. Just imagine for a moment, you're one of the sinners that approach Jesus. Might be the woman caught in adultery. Might be the blind man, the gates of Jericho. Just imagine for a moment one of the outcasts of the scriptures. Find yourself on the side of the road, begging. Begging that someone would see you. Someone would notice you. Someone would love you. Glance over. See a crowd walking down the street. seem to be around one man seeing this many people follow one prophet all the sin all the struggles you've had in your life you come to fall away different about this man. As he gets closer, start to see his beard, his height, and his hair, and start making out his features. As he gets closer, looks down and he sees you. Moment eye to eye and face to face. What's in his eyes? What's in his gaze? How does he look at you? Stoops down, face to face. He asks you a very simple question What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me? silence of your heart.
fez. answer his question what do you want me to do Thank you.